the pleasure of introducing Randy Gutter. This is Randy. It's his first Sunday Hi. here. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Randy, and if you're new here, I'm the teaching and prayer pastor here at the Vineyard and excited to serve in that role. I'm an old guy, so I'm going to sit down. Um, <clears throat> just one response to Tim <laughs> of the many that I could have. He did a great job reading the announcements. The snakes part wasn't in there, <laughs> in case you wondered. <laughs> All right. Well, how is everybody? Doing okay? All right. It's really great to be here, see you all. We're in a series on relationships, and um, we've, we've called it Love and Honor. We're talking about what uh, kingdom relationships look like and how they're founded on love and honor. Um, the way that Christ lives through us to one another is love and honor. So foundational verse for us, Romans 12.10, which says, Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. So we, over the last few weeks, have given a simple definition to love, to will the ultimate good of another, to will, to purpose in your heart that for the, the ultimate good of another as far as is up to you. And honor, we've talked about as assigning high value to someone because of what they've done or because of who they are, what position they have. And the, the way I like to look at that is to um, treat another person with our words and our actions, as if they're worthy of our service. Not because they're worthy of our service in our own humble opinion, but as if they are worthy of our service. That um, love and honor are choices of the will. They're not reactions of the emotions. Some of you, that's all you need to hear. You can go home and go have a bagel or something. You just needed to hear that. So this morning, we get to talk about love and honor in marriage. What brings us? No, I won't do it. <clears throat> um, and honestly, I mean, I just, I've been married for 35 years, so I've had some practice. I've been married successfully for 35 years. But I, I want to say it's not easy. You, you're looking at me, you're thinking, Randy, sure it is. You, you're married to an angel, and you have a good point. <laughs> um, but it's not easy. Adam talked about child-rearing, parenting, as not being a destination but a journey. And, journey. and marriage, too, is a journey. You don't get to just skip to the end in marriage. Marriage is a journey of learning what it looks like to love and honor another person in Christ. Um, Jane and I lead a small group, and our small group uh, during this season is going through the Upper Room Discourse. John 13 to 17, sort of the last big speech of Jesus to the disciples. And our first evening in um, this summer session, we started in uh, John 13, 1, where uh, Jesus is about to wash the feet of the disciples. John 13, 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And what comes next is Jesus humbling himself, Jesus taking off his outer cloak and kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples, including the feet of the one who is about to betray him to his death. It's, it's a great context for what love and honor looks like in marriage. 
to be willing to go on the journey to serve, to humble oneself over and over and over again, to serve another, not because you deem them worthy, but as if by created by God, they are worthy of your actions, your service, and your, your true love and honor. That's what Jesus did. And so I'll put a goal out there for us in Christian marriages. Our goal is to love our spouse with the love of God in the way that God has loved us. We are to love our spouse, and we are to love them to the end. I'll, I'll let you all fill in your own blank. What does the end? But to the end, Heather was praying uh, or was talking about, you know, wherever you are in your relationship, beginning, middle, end. And I just wanted to say, or new beginning. Because some of us here listening today have gone through beginning, middle, and end, and you are ready for, even if you don't know that you have the glimmer of hope for a new beginning. And I, I think a big part of this message, the heart of God for us this morning, there will be some principles and some tools. I, I hope it'll be helpful but really what I want to communicate is hope. Because there are way too many people out there in the world and right here in the church and sitting next to you who are in marriage, in a marriage, have gone through marriage, out of marriage, whatever, and they're without hope. And I have to tell you, not on my authority, but on the authority of Jesus himself, no one is without hope. No marriage is without hope. There's no dead marriage that can't be brought back to life. No, none. When, when Jane and I were living overseas the first time many, many years ago, we were, we'd been married for two years. We didn't have a clue what was going on. They brought a couple to minister to the couples. The, the, these couples, had he had been a youth pastor. The man had been, been a youth pastor and got into pornography, got into child pornography, got to the point where he was selling child pornography. And this was the couple they brought to us to minister to us because their marriage had been redeemed, reconciled. I have a tough time thinking of what, how, what else could be so hard to come back from. Adultery, I, I get it. Those are awful things. What I'm trying to say is there is no marriage without hope for change. If Jesus is real and brings transformation, he does it everywhere he goes. So just take that this morning, hope. No matter what you're thinking or feeling, there is hope. Some uh, preliminary thoughts and disclaimers. <laughs> I don't have to do this on every message, but I feel like I have to today. If you're divorced, sitting here this morning, don't hear this message and return to condemnation. That, that's just like stepping back into the enemy's camp. So I'm just going to put a big spiritual block, a big cross between you and your past and say, don't go back into condemnation. Don't go back into what if, if onlys, or woe is me. Don't, don't mess with any of that. This is a message about hope, which always looks forward. We can learn from the past, but we're looking forward, every single one of us. So hear this this morning as an invitation to a fresh encounter with God's grace. Can you feel that? A fresh encounter with God's grace who is present to all times in our lives and therefore can heal anything that has happened to us or through us that's caused us pain. If you're in a relationship right now that involves abuse, abandonment, or adultery, 
you need to talk to someone, and you need to talk to someone today. If Whether you are the one being abused, um, uh, being abandoned, or being cheated on, or you're the one abusing, abandoning, or being uh, unfaithful, today's the day to talk to someone. Just hear this from Jesus. Speaking right here, it's the time to talk to someone. It will never get easier to talk about the most difficult thing in your marriage than it is right now. It will not be easier tomorrow. I'm trying to lighten it up here a little bit. <laughs> but I'm pretty passionate about this, and I think God is pretty passionate about this. So the time to talk to someone is today. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to a pastor. Talk to me and or Jane. Talk to, go to a counselor. Talk to a therapist. Someone because it never gets easier than today to deal with the most difficult thing in your marriage. Don't say when the kids leave, when the, don't do it. Do it now. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> God, you are passionate about marriage. Creation began with a, a marriage in the garden. Creation ends with a marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. Everything in between is passion. So God, release your heart to us this morning. Not my heart and not my words, but Jesus, please, your heart and your words to us. For those who walk in as thinkers, speak to our hearts. For those who walk in as feelers, speak to our minds. For each of us that walks in as a soul before you, speak to body, soul, and spirit this morning. And lead us into hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are, uh, just to begin with, uh, at least two fundamental ways to look at the marriage relationship as it relates to authority and leadership and roles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, believers who love and follow Jesus with great passion come down on different sides of this, but if you don't know it, you need to understand there are at least two ways to look at relationship and roles in marriage. There's the complementarian view, and there's an egalitarian view. Complementarian just simply means um, God has given to male and female in the marriage relationship specific roles with specific and differing authority, and that God works through that order to bring order and fruitfulness in the marriage. The egalitarian view looks at it that God's given equal roles and equal authority to male and female in the relationship. And so the way that functions is based more on gifting, calling, and communication than it is on specific role or gender. I'm not going to tell you which one you should believe. Plenty of people out there will tell you what you should believe. I will be open with you that in our marriage, me and Jane, for 35 years, we lean towards the complementarian view that God's given specific roles, um, and that's the way it works for us. I will also tell you this, and Jane's here, so I can't lie. <laughs> She's right there. You can ask her any question you want. D don't. <laughs> but you could, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> If you took video of our marriage, oh, wasn't just think of the horrifying thought of that for a minute. You would look at our lives and you would say, these people are egalitarian in their view. I'm, I just told you what we prefer and how we view it. 
But if you looked at our marriage, not all the time, I'm not setting us up as the perfect, but 35 years of experience and love and grace and forgiveness and reconnection over and over and over again, I believe what you would see more often than not is two people deferring to one another, two people submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, two people serving one another, two people honoring one another's gifts and callings in God, two people preferring one another in honor. I mean, sometimes we do look like the two chipmunks. What about you? What about you? What do you think? What do you think, you know? Now, we've gotten through that part so we actually know one another well enough to make decisions based on what we know will honor and bless the other. And we've learned how to receive. We've learned how to receive from one another. Sometimes it's harder to receive than it is to give. So I'm not telling you what you should believe. I'm not saying you have to, to, to follow us. I would say that when you take this scripture that we're going to jump into here in a minute, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that in my humble opinion, if you take that scripture seriously and live that out to, your, to the greatest ability that God gives you, even a complementarian view of the roles in, in marriage will look like an egalitarian marriage. And better than that, people will see love and unity, um, passion and power in and through your marriage to the extent that they won't care what your view is. Because they'll see Jesus and the church walking through the world with, with that kind of love and passion. So um, if you need resources on that, I'm happy to give them to you. That's kind of where I stand. Let's go to the scriptures. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I am not going to read this passage in entirety, but I think it's the place to start when we're talking about Christian marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5, open your Bible, turn your Bible on, move to it in your head. Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 21. I'm only going to read a couple select verses. I'm not doing that to avoid things I don't want to talk about. I'm doing that to focus on the things I feel like God's given for us this morning. So I'm trusting you. Read the passage. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Don't skip a single verse. Spend the next year, five years, or decade of your life there. If you're married, live it for the rest of your life. Beginning with uh, verse five, chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the foundational context for the rest of Paul's read, writing on the marriage relationship. This is where the Holy Spirit begins as a foundation, and so it's where we begin. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'm going to fairly quickly go through just the phrases, three phrases, the submitting, the one another, and the reverence for Christ. And um, we'll see how it all gets unpacked. The command of the Holy Spirit to Christian couples, male and female, husband and wife, is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to set aside your rights, to die to self. Isn't this fun? I want to tell you, this is fun. This is fun. What happens in a marriage when two people submit to one another, when two people choose to die to self, to yield their rights, you get in marriage something greater than the two of you could ever experience. 
is there also the possibility of more pain than you could ever experience alone? It turns out, yes. But then all the more healing and all the more redemption. To submit to, to another person is to yield your rights to them, to obey them. That's what the word means. So you're saying, wait, wait, who is this? The husband or the wife? I want to get this right. Yes. Submit to one another. Do you need a Greek word? Alelon. One another. You see this 35 times in the New Testament. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It means to subordinate yourself to someone you consider worthy of your respect. That's what submission is. You submit to them as if they are worthy of respect, not if they are worthy of respect. Please hear this. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not if they are worthy of our submission, but as if they are worthy of, of our submission. Because let's be honest in marriage, sometimes you feel like they're worthy and sometimes you don't. And if our mutual submission was based on our feelings, we're busted. Who's already done that for a while? We're just busted. It just doesn't work. You follow emotions all around and it ends in a cesspool of slime. Something worse. When we said yes to following Jesus, we signed up for daily death. <laughs> <laughs> this really didn't, I didn't think about this message in the, in the way that it's coming out. <clears throat> but this is the truth. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you said, I'm willing to die daily. Now, what I get in return is the offer of abundant life. Abundant life here and there. Abundant life that starts now and goes for eternity, right? But we signed up for daily death. When you said yes in your wedding vows, you signed up for mutual submission. You signed up to put yourself under another person. Their desires, their preferences, their, um, their uh, care, their love, their honor, whatever that feels like. That's what we signed up. We signed up. <laughs> it's tough up here. <clears throat> I want to say that in a masculine voice. <clears throat> Mutual submission. We signed up to give up our rights, to arrange ourselves under another person, to subject our, ourselves to them. That doesn't mean that the other person controls. If we're submitting to one another, then one person submitting can never control another person, right? A submitted person cannot control another person. Think about it. I'm submitted to you, Jane. I can't control you and be submitted at the same time. How does this work out? This is the miracle of marriage. To yield to one's admonition or advice. Submission means you learn how to say no to yourself. That is not something you normally learn as a single, right? I don't think there's a class in college, at least not the college I went to. Here's how to say no to yourself. No, that wasn't big at Miami University. But marriage is a class in learning how to say no to yourself, how to submit your own desires because of another person that God's connected you with. If you can't say no to you, I'm not sure you can purely say yes to your spouse in love or honor. If you haven't learned how to say no to yourself, 
I'm not sure you can truly say a pure yes to your spouse in love and honor. It's mutual submission. In order to live out our mutual submission, we have to work long and hard to understand one another's languages. When she says, when you say, what's wrong, and she says nothing, that doesn't mean what you think it means. I won't go down all the possible examples, but you've got to commit to, I mean, we tell couples this in premarital, you've got to learn one another's languages. You think you understand English. You're dumb. You don't. After 20 or 30 years, you may not understand. You'll hear it in our house all the time. So what I hear you saying is, which is followed by a question, because never think you really got it. Wait, I think it sounds like you're saying this. No, no, you missed it. But you said these words, but you didn't get it. And it, and it, it goes both ways. You, you, it, mutual submission means we learn how to speak one another's languages. Paul says, submit to one another, that we're meant to be devoted to one another in love. The, the word used in Romans 12 is not agape, it's philostorge, which means brotherly affection. So here's a question. Have you learned to like your spouse, not just to love them? I think we're called to both. Sometimes we say, you know, well, I love them. I don't like them, but I love them. Well, then you've got more to do. Because brotherly affection is a part of the love relationship. It's to one another that we submit to. Ask yourself the question, have I learned to give to my spouse what they need from me, not just what I feel I have to give right now? Have I learned to give what they truly need right now in this moment, not what I feel like I have to give? Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, here's your big command. Love your wives. Wives are built for love. You want to put a hashtag out there? You can do that. Wives are built to receive love. Women in a marriage relationship are built to thrive in an atmosphere of unconditional love and, ex and, and acceptance. So Paul says, because he's brilliant by the Holy Spirit, husbands, love your wives. It's what they crave. It's what they long for. Don't just say nice words to me. Love me. Words are easier for a man. Love in action is more challenging, and it takes God to do it. Remember, husbands, we're following Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, of whom it is said, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. For who? For whom? For his bride. For us. And that is the measure of our love, men, for our wives. That's it. I can't dumb it down. I can't bring it down. I, we just have to look at Jesus and say, how did he love the church? That's how we love our wives. I want to say this to husbands with all due respect. So wives, you can look somewhere else. Husbands, gaze into my eyes. 
and I'm speaking to myself, I'm looking in my own mirror, get your eyes off yourself. That is the hardest thing, I think, for us men to do. Get your eyes off yourself. If you will stop looking at you and start looking to God and the woman that God gave you, God will care for you. God will care for you. But you've got to get your eyes off yourself. And we fall in at least one of two categories. We either have our eyes on ourselves in self-pity, oh, woe is me, or we have ourselves in pride and control. You will do what I say. And, and either one, we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking inward and down. And I think God says to us as husbands today, Christian husbands sitting here today, listening today, watching today, up and out. Get your eyes off yourself. Look up to God so that you can look with God's eyes towards this lovely woman that he's given you. God's perfect gift for you. Get your eyes off yourself. Dare to ask the question in your next conflict with your spouse, who am I looking at? And then dare to listen to God when he tells you yourself and learn to repent. Okay, good. 1 Peter 3.7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Husbands ought to be the expert on their wives, not the expert on their failings, not the expert, expert on the way they do the dishes wrong or do this wrong or do that wrong or don't do enough of this or whatever, but the expert on what makes them know that they are loved, cared for, honored. Men, we got to be the experts. We love to be experts. I was at a party. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, we're going to go a little long today, but I think the topic's worthy of it. So we're just, just sit, buckle in. Jane and I were at a, at a party last night. It was a... It was a um, surprise birthday party for um, family, connected family friends of ours. The woman's, they've been married over 35 years. The woman's stage four ovarian cancer. She's got months to live. And her children did a surprise party for her. And it was unbelievable. The amount of love, if just measured by tears, was overwhelming in the place. The, the, these, these couples... The way that these couples of friends had gathered around this couple, the way these couples had depended on one another and on God in their relationship, the way this family gathered to care for this couple, people flew in and drove hours and days to come to a two-hour party just to say goodbye to this woman. That's not where I was headed with the story, but that's what happened. That was love and honor in a powerful way. Here's, here's what I heard. Men who are experts in whiskey. I'm not shaming anyone. That's not the point. But I heard men talking about whiskey with the most intricate passion. And I'm like, what's the difference between this and that? And then they speak in tongues for a while. I'm like, what the heck, you know? I mean, it's, it's always fun to see someone passionate about something, right? Men, could we be that passionate about what makes our wives tick? Oh, when she hears me lift her up in front of someone else, when she hears me praising her instead of 
downgrading her, when, when she just comes upon me bragging about her, or whatever. Whiskey, awesome, great. Wives, God's gift. Whiskey, not God's gift. Just a nice thing. Wife, God's perfect gift to you. Okay, enough about becoming an expert. Ephesians 5.33, each of you must love his wife, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul's real clear. He doesn't say wives don't love your husbands. That's covered under love everyone, love the brotherhood. Okay, it's covered. But he says specifically to wives, respect your husband. Why? Men were built to respond to respect. We're built for it. How many times do you hear a man out there, don't you dare disrespect me? I mean, there's just something in us that's like, do anything you want, but don't disrespect me. And we get all puffed up and we do all sorts of things to show, I'm worthy of respect. You should be afraid of me, right? Men are built to respond in loving and honoring ways in a marriage relationship to respect. And so the Holy Spirit through Paul says, Wives, respect your husbands. Here's what the word says. The word for respect is the same word that Paul uses in other places for a, a believer's attitude towards God. It's the same word. Now, in case you're wondering, your husband is not God. I promise that. But can you see him in him? Can you see God in your husband? If your husband's a believer, no matter what you think about his faith, God's in there. And part of your job, your gift, your calling, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to keep looking at that husband that God gave you until you see Jesus in him. Seek out the Jesus in him. You'll be able to respect that part of him. We find what we're looking for. If we're looking for, if we want to do the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13 and, and make, keep a record of wrongs, you, it's easy to do, right? <clears throat> again, again, again. That's why Paul says, don't do that. Don't make a record of wrongs. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Wives, respect your husbands. They need it. Not respect your husband if he is worthy of respect, but as if he is worthy of respect. Remember what I said about abuse and abandonment and adultery, okay? That's all in here. But the word of God is your, your, your husband needs to know that he's respected. You can honor him for who he is, a child of God, created in the image of God, God's perfect gift to you. Can you honor your husband for what he's dove, done, loved you even if imperfectly? Can you see in him the man that God is making him? I don't have the time to tell all the stories of all the years. But there were a couple moments before we moved to Indianapolis and a couple more since we've moved here where Jane looked at me and she respected me as if I was worthy of respect when I was in no way acting worthy of respect. No way. And that respect empowered by God through a willful choice of this Angel, she's, she's fallen like the rest of us, okay? But really redeemed. It changed our lives. It changed our marriage. It changed our marriage. 
because she chose, to, she chose to respect me, not when she felt like it or when I was acting worthy of respect, but because God told her to do it. And her obedience to God changed me. She didn't change me. You are not called to change your spouse. You are called to love your spouse, to love and honor your spouse, to love and respect your spouse. God does the changing. There is a Holy Spirit. You are not him. There is a Holy Spirit. You are not him. Sometimes he will use you, but not if you're trying to act like him. It just doesn't work that way. Believe me, I've tried it. <laughs> I got all the words. You know, it doesn't work that way. Love and respect. There is a great book on marriage. It's by a person named Emerson Egerichs. E-G-G-E-R-I-C-H-S. Emerson Egerichs. It's called Love and Respect. And I'd encourage you, buy the book. It, it's, it's worth the one picture I'm going to put up here, but even more so. And what... Uh, what Emerson Egricks does is he says that this is, um, this is how man and woman are, are, are built to go together. The, the man loves the woman. The woman respects the, the man. The, the love of the man to the woman engenders respect from woman to man. The respect from woman to man engenders or motivates love from man to woman. And if you've got that cycle up there, he, he calls, uh, see the energizing cycle on the right? His love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. That's a happy cycle. Love and respect abounding. That's frolicking people. That's love all over the place. That's scandalous love. But there's another cycle called the crazy cycle. And every single human who has ever been married for a minute has experienced the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle is when her disrespect comes across her disrespect comes to across to him as unloving and his lack of love comes across to her as disrespectful and it just goes in a bad cycle. You're not going to respect me, don't expect my unconditional love from you. What do you think it's unconditional? And this I mean just let's be honest Couples can spend decades in the crazy cycle. If you find yourself saying, well, as soon as they, then I will, you're in the crazy cycle. As soon as you hear yourself saying, well, as soon as they, then I will, you are in the crazy cycle. Someone has to stop the cycle. Someone has to choose to love when they're feeling disrespected. Or someone has to choose to respect when they're feeling unloved. Does that make sense? This is huge. This is right from the Bible with a cool picture. This is like, post this in the sky over your house. What breaks the cycle is when one person receives from the Father what they need, love or respect, and then gives it from the Father in spite of the lack of that gift from the other. That's what breaks the cycle. When someone decides to look up to God rather than with an accusing finger to the other or self-righteous defense, that changes the cycle. Love assumes respect, but it doesn't demand it because you can't demand voluntary respect. Just think of the words. You can't demand voluntary respect. I demand you to respect me because you want to. No. 
In the same way, love um, presupposes respect, but love can't demand respect. Respect can't demand love. You, you can't demand something that's voluntary. That's why the only power you have in marriage, the only real control is over, guess what? You. Chris Valentin would say, on a good day. You have control over you. You, you were not called to be the Holy Spirit and control your spouse. You were called by the Holy Spirit and by his power to love your spouse in spite of them operating in the crazy cycle. And I'm not going to say that as soon as one person breaks the cycle, then, you know, the, shun, the sun shines and the angels come down and the birds sing. No, it might take days, months, weeks, years. I don't know. But you can't give up because the choice is despair. Remembering this, when your husband or your wife is the least lovable, they most need your love. Tattoo that one on your arm. When your husband or wife is least lovable, that's when they most need your love unconditionally, the kind, the kind of love that comes from God. When your spouse is acting the least respect-worthy, they most need your respect. I'm talking husband and wife. They need your respect when they're doing crazy things, things that don't deserve or demand respect. I'm not saying they earn your obedience or I'll just follow along because you're the guy, right? I'm not saying that. Loving confrontation is also respect. Confrontation without love, add in some bitterness, that's not respect. I could, I could take you to a place in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, a parking lot where Jane lovingly confronted me with something that had I not taken seriously in our marriage, I'm not sure we would have made it. I'm not sure we would have made it. There was huge amount of respect in that car, in that parking lot on that day. But it was hard truth, and I had to hear it. And had she not said it, and had I not heard it, and had I not turned to God, and had we not turned to God over and over and over and over again, we wouldn't be where we are. It's hard work. Love and honor in marriage is based upon the reality of your oneness and the commitment you made before God, not based upon whether you deem your spouse worthy of love and respect or honor or not but based upon God's order in marriage. Here's God's perfect gift to you. Now here's my love and here's my honor. I give it to you aplenty so you can pour it out on the one I've called you to love to the end. Back to Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ is the context of every Christian, holy Christian marriage. You take reverence for, for Christ, you take the, the reality of God's presence out of a marriage, and even with two Christians, you have two angry people. You have two combative people. When you start standing up for yourself against your spouse, without this reverence for God is present in our midst, hearing every word and seeing every action, you, you lose the power source of heaven in your relationship. It's out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another. When we do that, we're submitting to God's order for the marriage relationship. In the context of God's good and loving, 
sovereign plan for you, we submit to one another. We love and honor one another the way that Jesus did it. It's because we have a healthy fear of God's presence in our relationship that we live in honesty and purity and constant repentance if we need to and forgiveness, bearing with one another in love, forgiving even as we have been forgiven by God in Christ because God's present in the marriage. That's why we do that. And that's why I would say, I mean, of all the marriage tools and all the tips and tricks and books, etc., the number one most powerful tool that you have in your marriage relationship to make a, a, a holy, healthy, mar- vibrant marriage relationship is your own intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus. It's number one. That's what out of reverence for Christ means. Because I'm passionately in love with Jesus and I'm allowing God to love me, even in my frailty, I can turn and love and honor the person that God has given me. If I'm not receiving it from God, it's real hard to give what you don't have. It's the most important thing. Now, having said that, someone is saying, oh, well, so my marriage is in a mess because my spouse isn't following Jesus. You don't get to do that. We have to own our relationship in union. As long as a problem in your relationship is the other person's problem, you're never going to find the solution to that problem. You've, you've got a husband dealing with pornography. If that's only the husband's problem, then all of a sudden, you know what? He's married to his mother, not his wife. That's very Freudian and not a good thing. Right? Do, do you want your mom in your relationship? Did you do anything bad today? Did you do anything bad today? No. Pornography or any other issue in a relationship, sure, it might stem from a person, but a, a loving couple will own it in unity and not say, how are you doing, but how are we doing? How are we doing? Now, men and women, people dealing with all sorts of addiction and stuff, you're not off the hook. You got to go after healing. I'm just saying we do it together. We do it together in a context, in the context of love and honor. We've got to own these issues in our relationships and own them together. If you've got any questions about what I just said, come at me. I'm happy to talk to you. Last week, um, I sent out some questions, sent out a question to our small group leaders, and I said, ask your Ask your, the people in your small group your most pressing marriage questions. I got 30 questions back. They were a little depressing. And they were enlightening. Because you know what? I just realized here we are, it's hard out there. So if it's hard in your marriage, you are not alone. I, I heard some really challenging questions. That means that there are some people dealing with some really challenging stuff. Some real hard stuff. Last week, because God loves me, I also happened to hear on one day about three marriages in this body of believers that are being utterly and completely, miraculously transformed by the presence of God within them. If you knew these people and what they were dealing with and saw and heard now what's happening in their relationship, you would say, that's miraculous. So, 
Is it hard? Yes. And we're called to persevere? Yes. And to keep forgiving? Yes. But there's hope. There is hope for every single marriage sitting in the room or listening here today. Breakthrough in marriage will not come when you just finally get through to them. So abandon that as a course of action. Breakthrough will come when God finally gets through to them. And God will do that in his timing and on his terms. Now you can pray for that. You can fast for that. You can love and honor with everything you have in the midst of that. You can set up boundaries that are healthy in the midst of that. But God's the one that brings the change. You're not called to change your spouse. You're called to love them. To love them to the end which may require from us some divine moments of courage. Sitting in that Plymouth minivan, in that parking lot in Pennsylvania that many years ago, Jane walked into a divine moment of courage. She had to stand up and say, that's enough. I love you, I respect you, but that's not okay. And it changed our marriage. Can you give, can you allow God today to give you the capacity to believe that he can change your vision of the future of your marriage? Can you make a way in your heart or at least open your heart? You know, Heather just helped us surrender over and over again. Can you surrender your heart to the point where you can say, okay, I believe God that you are able to make a way in my relationship where it seems impossible. Will you make a way in my relationship where it seems impossible? Just because it's impossible does not mean that God doesn't want to do it. He loves it. We're called to hope and to act. Your status quo is not God's status quo. So believe me, I've been talking to challenges in marriage. If you're sitting there and you think, we have the best marriage in the world, I'm going to say the same to you as to the worst. Don't settle. Don't settle. Why settle? It only gets better. There's, there's, there's only more intimacy. There's only more joy. There's only more. My experience, and I'm just speaking from experience, I don't know where this one is in the Bible, and I don't know how it happened. I can't say how it happened. But there comes a time in marriage, if you persevere, Something changes in the marriage relationship and all of a sudden you realize as a husband or a wife, wait a minute, they're for me. They're they're for me. They love me unconditionally. They know me very deeply, but they love me unconditionally. And that love is never going to end. When you recognize that, realize that, choose to believe that, something changes in your marriage. Again, I can't, I can't tell you when it happened, but I can remember talking to Jane about it like something happened. It's like one day we were going into intense fellowship number seven. That's code word for fight, right? You know how you have fights. You know, well, there's this one. Well, we know how this one goes and how long it takes and who wins and who loses, right? All of a sudden, we're going into that fight and I recognize or she recognizes, wait a minute, you love me, but this hurt you must not have meant that. 
wait a minute, you love me. You wouldn't do that on purpose. I must have misunderstood something. Do you know what that feels like as a spouse to hear, what you just said hurt, but I know that you love me so much, you probably didn't mean it, or there's something else going on. Could we talk about that? (laughs) That changes everything. That changes the whole dynamic. Because all of a sudden, you've experienced what every human wants, to be loved, to be known, and for those two things to last forever. That is possible to some extent on this side of heaven in marriage. I've gone very long, but I have one more page of notes. And I'm going to wake you up with one more word. Sex! Oh, I don't have time. There were some things I just felt like, I've got to say this. I can't get through, uh, you know, maybe the one message specifically on marriage here in this year at the Vineyard. And, and not talk about sex. Sex is good. Sex is really good. God designed it. He intended it. When Jane and I first got married, we were handed a book called Intended for Pleasure. And it was about how to have great sex. Like, not the mystical stuff, like the mechanics. Here's what you got to do in order for it to feel good. If you don't do this, it doesn't work. We didn't know. Praise God, we didn't know. We've got to learn. And so that's why when we do premarital counseling, you know, at least the last um, session that we do with a couple is a separate session where Jane talks to the wife and I talk to the husband, and we, we ask really awkward questions. Do you know how it works? Do you know what really brings joy and pleasure? Can you embrace that? Or is it possible that like so many people, especially Christians, you walked into marriage with a shame or wound or fearful or whatever, we don't talk about it, view of sex. I did. I don't think I could say the words for like the first four years of marriage. That's why we didn't get pregnant till the fifth. It's kind of a joke there. I'm serious. I just, we don't talk about that stuff in my family. My kids still laugh at me because we don't talk about it much. But we've got to talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, the enemy continues to distort the gift of sex for couples and just blows up marriages, left and right. I had a friend in the church, they've moved to another country at this point, but he used to say, he used to say sexual evangelism, that's what we ought to be about. I'm like, Eddie, if you, you know, if I say Eddie, you know who it is. <laughs> Eddie, we can't do it, we can't do sexual evangelism. <laughs> He's like, but Christians have the best and the most sex. It's proven. Well, we got to talk about it. We've got to help one another. If you're in a relationship where the sexual relationship with your intimacy is not functional, is not working, there's pain, there's malfunction, there's whatever, talk about it with someone. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a small group leader. Take the courageous move to be bold, to ask the question. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. And don't go somewhere else. Because you're sabotaging the very gift that God's given you if you do. Sometimes, okay, I'm standing up to, in, to show you that I'm almost done. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a tool. Um, we were in Michigan a couple weeks ago. We were on the beach in Michigan at a place where we sometimes stay. And uh, the, the, the beach in Michigan has been going away 
it's just been sort of receding. And so the water's coming closer and closer. And you walk down the beach in uh, south southwestern Michigan, and these um, houses, not houses, but like the, the stairs down to the beach and these little beach houses, they're falling apart. They're just in, in disrepair. I mean, they're literally falling into the sea. And um, whatever's happening in the climate now, the beaches are coming back, but they're having to rebuild all these places where entire you know, seawalls have fallen or been smashed through and houses are crumbled, and it's, it's pretty dramatic. And so I was walking down the beach and I saw this excavator. You know, it's a big, big cat machine with a claw. And this guy was just, I mean, it was just so awesome. I mean, men just, every, every man wants one of these, right? It's just a big claw that you do with hydraulics and you grab a huge rock and you plop it wherever you want. There was artistry. There was. There was artistry, but it was awesome. And I sat there. I mean, this is how I work. I'm a pastor. I thought, this is marriage. I thought, sometimes you just need a tool. Sometimes you just need the right tool. You, your marriage, your relationship, inner or outer or intra, is in such disrepair, so much damage, you just need a tool to come in and do something. Two tools available for you in our church here. Love after marriage. Just write it down somewhere. Love after marriage. We call it LAM. It is not peaceful. It's heroic. Love after marriage. Write it down October the 5th. There will be a, a, an evening to find out all about it. Tuesday night, October the 5th, 6.30 in the youth room. Find out about Love After Marriage. It's a 12 or 13 or 20 year, uh, 12 or 13 week or 20 year uh, uh, class about marriage. It's, it's down in deep. It will begin on January the 11th. And it will be a tool and tools for you to use that can change your marriage. Marriages have been redeemed. I mean saved from the pit of hell through love after marriage. And you're saying to me, but Randy, I need a tool now. I need one now. Gimme, 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 right here. Marriage moments. Steve and Lori Orinder, just do this right over here. Steve and Lori Orinder, married 25 years, married 35 years, 33 years. They've been mentoring couples for most of those. They wrote a book called Marriage Moments. This is, a, this is a devotional that will help you and your spouse go to God and to one another in healthy ways. If you need a tool, these are out in the lobby. This is worth $15, $15 to save your bacon in marriage. This is a tool that will help you look to God to love the one that God has given you. Don't, don't, don't leave home without it. <laughs> All right, let's stand. Some of you are like, oh, finally. If I could have the ministry team come forward, and especially couples. If couples, if, if there's a married couple here, you both know the Lord, and you're in a good and happy place, you're on the ministry team today. Come on forward. Okay, kind of in a good and happy place. Just feeling you've ever been in a good and happy place. Come forward. All right, if you just, if you just close your eyes for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through some some action prompts. I'm going to give you some invitations and I'm going to pray for us and let you come if, if you want someone to pray for you. Could be about marriage, but it could be about anything, your own stuff. So it's just quiet before God now. I want to encourage you to take a courageous step today. I'm not going to tell you what that step is, but I want to encourage you to take a courageous step related to your marriage. Maybe this morning you need to ask God a question 
about you. Not God, why do they, but God, what's going on in me? And then sit quietly and let God speak to you about you. Maybe you need to repent to your spouse. Maybe you need to repent to them for something that happened this morning or last week or for something that's been happening for 25 years. Why not today? Why not today? The grace of God is in the room for repentance and restoration. Ask your spouse an honest question without agenda and then listen with an open heart. That might be your courageous act today, to ask your spouse an honest question and then listen without agenda, without defense. Maybe your courageous action is to say something that needs to be said today in love to your spouse, to say what needs to be said in love. Maybe you've never prayed with your spouse because it just feels awkward do it today. There's grace in the room for a new relationship, husband and wife, together in union with God. It changes everything. Lord, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would take these last 45, 50 minutes of me talking, that God, you would distill what needs to be heard and known and acted upon in our hearts and in our lives. We ask God for truth, for love, for honor, for respect, for breakthrough, for transformation, for even better, for even more. And we ask it, God, because we know it is your will for us in Christ Jesus that we might love and honor one another and show what that kind of relationship in God looks like to the world. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. Free your people. Empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you, I would encourage you to come come forward. If you've got kids in the children's ministry, um, go get them because I've gone longer than I normally do. But bring them back in. Let them sit quietly as somebody prays for you. If you've got a need in your relationship, your marriage relationship, don't leave today without talking to someone, without speaking it out. We'll we'll stay here as long as we need to. God bless you, each and every one of you. Go in peace.